have to learn your cliches. You're gonna have to study them. You're gonna have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you want to play good and, you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, and this is a team effort. 10-5, touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just got to play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball. Hiya, film freakazoids, and thank you for letting the seventh episode of Scoring at the Movies seep into your ears. This is the sports movie podcast that drops every other Thursday, and our work is jammed with spoilers. I'm the washed-up quarterback who wants to retire, but his wife bullies him into continuing to play. Dennis Quaid, I mean Ryan Ellis. And here's my younger, more talented, hotshot replacement whose nerves tend to cause a seriously upset stomach, Chris DiGregorio. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> is it upsetting to you that I'm sitting here in just a jockstrap? I preferred it that way. I thought you would. We always ask it then, lately at least, scoring at the movies. Can you score at this movie? You just proved we can. Whoa. That's a ruin everything for people, though, but okay. Fair enough. It's not as hot as last time we recorded, so we don't have to be quite so undressed, though. In reality, we are very well dressed. He's don't. lying to you, poor listeners. Ryan, you're not supposed to let them behind the kimono. <laughs> and Fox and Sam are going ape shit. He's got his game face on, right? The game face is on. With the game face is on with Fox. All right, this week's movie, Any Given Sunday, was released by Warner Brothers a few days before Christmas 1999. And I think, Brian, that we can both agree this is a feel-good family movie, right? It sure is. Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody! <laughs> <laughs> it was not a big success in America, but it didn't flop either, and it did pretty well worldwide, which is a little surprising because football is not really a worldwide sport. It's like no. Canada, obviously, with the CFL, and we like the NFL, but I don't think most other countries give any kind of shit about the NFL or football in general. No, I don't think so either. There might be like a voyeuristic interest in seeing a movie about it because unless you're playing rugby in what Eurasia or wherever rugby is popular, I guess the UK as well, you don't get that kind of incredibly intense contact sport. So from a cinema perspective, it might be more appealing than it would be for a sporting audience. It may have also been the cast. Cameron Diaz was pretty big by that point. Al Pacino had been big forever. Which, Jamie Foxx was coming on. Yeah, this one, I guess, was kind of his star vehicle when it came mm -hmm. out. But this cast, I haven't seen this one basically since it came out. I forgot how many now big names, but even then, known names mm -hmm. were in this. That have small roles in a lot of cases, but yeah. they are in it. I mean, Dennis Quaid, mm -hmm. James Woods. Matthew um, Modine had been pretty big in the 80s. Yeah, okay, Matthew Modine, I get that. Charlton Heston. And Anne Margaret. Anne Margaret. She's got a pretty big role as Diaz's mother. It's pretty incredible, actually, the cast that they pulled together. And even from the sporting side of things, you get Jim Brown, one of the most famous running backs of all time. Best name in the movie. Was it Montezuma or something around He's there? one of the coaches, yeah. He's the defensive coach, I guess. There are also other NFL greats who are coaches on other teams. Dick Butkus, Warren Moon, and Johnny Unitas. Barry Switzer, who'd been the Cowboys yeah. coach, maybe still was, who's in the press box in one of the games. Maybe it's at the end. And you also get Lawrence Taylor as one of one the, of the players, yeah. one of the premier players, and has a pretty big role, a lot of acting. And L. Cool J, of course, not a mm -hmm. football player, but just from a big name perspective, especially late '90s, the guy was huge. Mm -hmm. But in a nutshell, of this movie, young black man takes older white man's job and does it slightly better, <laughs> just better enough to get them into the next round of the playoffs, only to get whipped by San Francisco. Beeman was steaming. Yeah. But it's not like Cap, Dennis Quaid, was playing badly. He just got badly hurt. And in that playoff game, he's playing well. He just can't go on. This is one of those pedantic things that I do with sports movies I a like lot. pedantry. Go ahead. Oh, well, I think that's why we do this so well. We are, two of us, equally pedantic. <laughs> the 
opening game of this movie when not just Cap and Dennis Quaid but his second string backup go down to injury back to back plays yeah and they of course go on to lose the fourth straight shortly thereafter you see Pacino marking on his little schedule the record as it progressed through the season they were seven and two at one point so yeah Cap must have been playing well and they lose four in a row they're seven and six I had a lot of questions about the playoff structure of this league as it went along. Well, first of all, you just said 7-6, and six, which suggests that the season's almost over if it was the NFL. But this, of course, is not the NFL. This is the Associated Football Franchises of America, so AFFA. Yeah. Which is also an interesting aspect of this movie. I understand that the NFL didn't want to license this movie. They didn't want anything to do with it, so they couldn't call this an NFL team mm-hmm. for the purposes of the team that they focus on for the movie. Or any of them. It's not like they pretend that the NFL doesn't exist and the AFFL is the big league, right? AFFA. The, AFFA, is it? Okay. AFFA. AFFA. Right, thank you. AFFA. They acknowledge that the NFL does exist, right? They talk about the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. They talk about why this Miami Sharks team can't get a new stadium. It's because the Dolphins are in Miami, and so they can't get the push behind it. This is supposed to be a more successful version of the USFL or the World Football yeah, League. Yeah, and that's what I took it to be as which well. Which also really happened against the NFL, and they right. didn't succeed. But they all folded. How many times have you seen, or do we see even now, competing leagues within a very small area? So within the U.S., let's say, or North America even. You don't see two equally prestigious leagues on the same footing. I think the only example I could come up with worldwide, to the best of my knowledge, is maybe soccer, where you have Premier League, where you have Serie A, and I don't know soccer well, Ryan, help me. I don't either. There's a number of leagues, and while they're not all on the same level, I think it's well understood that the Premier League is the number one, but there's a number of other European leagues in the same vicinity. So the comparison would be NFL, USFL, World Football League are all basically the same tier with what you're talking about in soccer. I think that was the intention there, but it never succeeded. Mm. And There's you... no other baseball league that competes with Major League Baseball, right. at least on that level. Basketball, hockey, baseball, even soccer in North America, and certainly football. You'll have the NFL and you have the CFL. There's no way in hell anyone thinks the CFL is anywhere good, as good rather, as the NFL. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, from a funding perspective, from advertising and salaries, these guys in this movie are constantly talking about their contracts and how much they get in bonuses and how much they think they're going to make next year. And they're talking, especially by late 90s standards, big money. Million dollar bonuses, five to eight million dollar contracts, I think they're talking about. LT's a million dollar man, even though he's probably never going to walk again. He's certainly never going to play again. At least he could open his eyes, and everyone was very relieved about that. Uh It's a hard thing for me to accept that this league could exist concurrent to the NFL and be successful enough and well thought of enough to generate the kind of attention it does and generate the amount of money it does for what these guys are talking about. But if you can look past that level of pedantry, then it's still an enjoyable movie. So you're saying it's a fantasy? Oh, it certainly is. You go back to what you were saying about the playoff structure. So I have to believe that they're mirroring the NFL in terms of size. And in fact, if you look at all the teams that are listed on that schedule, they're all NFL cities too, right? They've just rebranded them. So let's say seven and six. And I think Beeman played... And this is the other thing that was really funny about this movie, by the way. The way that they sort of time-lapse things, and you see him make music videos, you see him become this big guy doing all the interviews. Happens fast. Super fast. It's like two games. (laughs) <laughs> well, you remember the basketball player Jeremy Lin for the New York Knicks? Yeah. He yeah. got big pretty fast, too. That can't that happen a, that, that was a couple of months, though. That was like a good 40 True. games by NBA standards. I'll do the thing I often do with Bev, and I'll use the Hitchcock thing here. It had to happen for the movie. I know it did. I, was and I have one more answer to that as well. Because you're thinking a 16-game season like the NFL, but maybe they have an 18 or even 20-game season like the CFL has 18. So uh, maybe but, that's what it is. But they don't. 
because they play three more games and then they go to the playoffs. Do they actually say it's only three more games? You can look at the schedule and you see it. But they, oh, they talk about how many okay. games the Jamie Foxx character has played. He ends up playing three games. Then you're and, right. And That's then they bullshit. go to the playoffs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, it was funny. It's just how quickly it happened, how quickly his head gets big. He ends up booting his six-year-old girlfriend in the space of a week mm. in one fight. They've broken up. He's got some other poontang All on the of a horizon. sudden, he's the most famous guy in Miami. Everywhere he goes, people want a piece of him. You played three games. You lost the first one. Right. You had one good game. Like you said, Cap was doing well before he got hurt. And he goes on television, starts ripping on everybody. I don't know about you, but... I kind of didn't remember anything about this movie. I, I didn't either. I, well, I remember the big scenes, but not the you remember, smaller you remember moments. some of the inspirational speeches? Mm-hmm. I've watched the Pacino speech before the playoffs on YouTube lots of times. It's one of the better ones. It's one of those I thought was good the first time I saw it, but it's gotten better as time has gone on. I put that up there with one of the great inspirational speeches in sports movie history. It was great. I thought Pacino, by and large, was really good in this good movie. Good casting, yeah. His speeches as inspirational speeches were great when they needed to be. Him being down and out, he played it well when he needed to. Him being pissed off, he always does well. Today I'm humiliated to be the coach of this team, and he just sort of walks out. So I thought he was good in general. Robert De Niro and Clint Eastwood are two people that were talked about for the role. Both great actors. Yeah. De Niro is as good as Pacino, maybe better. Eastwood isn't. But for but this role, I no, don't think they, I could especially see... Especially Eastwood wouldn't... Well, maybe it wouldn't have been quite the same way as what Pacino did, but Eastwood would have been way wrong for it. I just thought Pacino felt more like a coach, and particularly a football coach, than either of those guys could have. I mean, yeah, this era, at least. I could see Clint Eastwood being a coach of an NFL team in the 70s and 80s. I think he would fit right in. Okay. He's but, more like an owner than a coach, though. Yeah, more like the Charlton Heston commissioner figure than he would be the coach figure. Maybe because, like Heston, Eastwood is Clint Eastwood. He's not an actor's actor, like Pacino and De Niro. As big a stars as they both have been for all these years, to a degree, because they're big stars, they're character actors. And Clint Eastwood, and Charlton Heston for that matter, were never those things. No. They are themselves. John Wayne's another one like that. Yeah, so they can't really play a regular guy, a rich man, granted, but a regular guy coach the same way that a Pacino or a De Niro can. Yeah, they don't disappear into the role. They can do it, but you're just watching them be them Mm. is what it breaks down to. I'm a little bit torn about this one, having watched it now. Yeah, so thumbs up, thumbs down. We should have said that before. What do you think? I'm a not-quite-turgid thumbs up, maybe, (laughs) but I don't know. I was blown away by certain aspects of this movie. I thought it was great. I think, bar none, this movie does a better job of depicting the sport it encompasses, more so than any other movie you've watched so far. It blows it away. I thought they did a great job of depicting the game and everything behind the scenes of the game. Oh, you mean of the seven movies we've covered, not of football movies in general? No, the movies you and I have talked mm. about thus far. I'm not saying it's the best football movie of all time, but it's the of best seven, I can remember. We can't relate to things like karate, so... <laughs> okay. <And> pool <laughs> professionals. <laughs> Do you think that the Karate Kid did a better job of depicting... <laughs> no, probably not. <laughs> I have to agree with you. How you train for a karate tournament? <laughs> Because I don't know if Mr. Miyagi getting Daniel-san to paint his house and stuff is a... In the manual? (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. No, then you're right. Of the seven movies, it would be the best from those standpoints. I think they did a legitimately great job of that. And they did a legitimately great job of depicting the totally unfair expectations of the players. Everything they go through. The hypocrisies and the sexism and the racism and all of that. They did a great job of making it real. Mm. But at the same time, from a movie perspective... I had a really hard time rooting for anybody, feeling good for anybody, or feeling sad for anybody when this was all said and done. I was left kind of feeling ambivalent about the outcome of the game. And maybe you're supposed to. Maybe that's not supposed to matter in Oliver Stone's mind. But if not for that, I would certainly say it's a thumbs up because it does a lot of things really well and I was really impressed with a lot of things. 
What did you think? Did you find yourself rude and fun? I hate being pussy-ass about those kinds of things. I'd like to say yes or no to a movie, but I'm with you on that. It's maybe a thumb up. Okay, how about this, though? We each have two thumbs. I have one thumb up for the depictions and for a lot of the script. And the speeches! And the speeches. And I have one thumb that was gruesomely shattered in a tackle, and I'm trying to give it a thumbs up, but my <laughs> body just won't do it. It's sort of hanging flaccidly off to the side. Like the eye that got pulled out, a scene I could do without. That was the most disgusting I'd forgotten scene that. I've seen in a long time. And they really focus on that eye for a long time. When I saw the guy clawing at his socket, I thought, oh, that's gruesome. And then <laughs> the close-up pan mm. to the eyeball lying on the field as the medic picked it up and puts it in a little container and walks off with that it. That doesn't happen in football. That does not happen. Show the broken leg Tim Crumry, the Cincinnati Bengals player had in maybe the Super Bowl, where the leg is flopping around the oh, lower part of the leg. God. Show that. That would be disgusting, but that really happens. We've seen that a few times on football fields over the years. But an eye getting pulled out seems like it's never happened before. It's happened in hockey. I've actually watched hockey games where a guy's eyeball has been... And basketball, actually. Last year, it happened in basketball. Well, they're more wide open than those other sports. Exactly, Because football players and hockey players have some kind of head protection. Basketball players never do. I think it was a Boston Celtics or Milwaukee Bucks player actually had his eyeball pop out of his socket when he got knocked to the floor, and he said it was weird. Oh, so it wasn't like he was fish-hooked by somebody's finger. It was the force There was a a collision, and he fell, and the eye literally popped out, and he said it was weird because he could see in front of himself and behind himself at the same time. <laughs> oh, man. That was disgusting, man. Mm. Well, you're hitting on why the NFL didn't want to be a part of this movie because of the controversial things behind the scenes, what these guys go through to play. Yeah. The steroids and the covering up of injuries. Towards the end, Cameron Diaz is colluding with James Woods, the owner and the doctor. She wants... Beeman to play and Cap Beeman to, to play, so she wants Pacino to say, listen, you're, or the doctor said, you're not recovering quite as well as you think you are. But they actually do conspire to have the Lawrence Taylor's character's x-rays doctored. So Luther LaVey, yeah. So, so that he's, he's able to play, play, even though he shouldn't be on the fucking field probably ever again. I was impressed with Lawrence Taylor. He's done some acting work, I don't know how much, but as an ex-football player, particularly at this point, I think he was relatively recently retired. A few years, anyway. Mm-hmm. The scene where it does come to light, the Matthew Modine character, the new kid on the block, the new doctor on the team, finds out what had happened, what James Wood had done. And by the way, James Woods might be better than anybody in Hollywood at playing slimy, scummy, piece of shit kind of character. Like, he's so good at it and so unapologetic. He kind like, of is that in real life, I think, too. I think so. I mean, that's why he's so good at it. Come on, Tony. We had good times. We won the Pantheon Cup, right? Tony basically goes, yeah, screw you. You're done. Get out of here. And then all of a sudden, he flips the switch. Oh, fuck you. Fuck all of you. I'm out of here. Tony is full of shit that scene. That's what Harvey Mandrake, another great name. A lot of great names. Harvey Mandrake, Luther LeVay, Montezuma Monroe. We've loved the great names. Jim Brown, man. Montezuma Monroe. Yeah. That was great. But Tony is hypocritical in that one because he's doing the whole sort of, you didn't tell him, you didn't give him a choice. Well, that's actually the choice thing is Modine's line. But well, he tells Cap, you're good. Get out there. All you need is a shot. Get right. out there. And then what does Tony do later on? I need you, Cap. I need you. When he knows the guy's not healthy enough, and Cap is telling him, I can't do it anymore. There's a rare thing in a sports movie. I can't do it. I literally can't. I don't have a broken leg. My head isn't actually exploded. I'm not laying on a gurney anymore. Well, but he also says, yeah, I'm not laying on a gurney anymore. He has that gruesome back injury right at the beginning of the game, which is also a great scene with James Woods. Like, come on, you pussy, stand up. You want people on television to see you get carried off? Come on. That would not happen now. Well, this is also a movie, but... It is a movie. I don't think you'd even depict that now. No, I don't Even if you were trying to show a scummy doctor... I don't think he'd show that now. But 20 years ago, I think it was fairly accurate. He does walk off the field, and he's in the hospital, and they've got him on a morphine drip, and he's banging away at it, and then mm-hmm. finally says, call the nurse, tell them I'm a football player. This is not working for me. you got to pump up the volume, right? Because mm-hmm. they're so loaded with amphetamines mm-hmm. and painkillers all the time that a normal morphine drip may as well not exist. But you're right. Later in the movie, when he does rehab himself, 
Pacino's character goes to him and says, I need you, I need you, and he doesn't want to play. I got weird blank spots in my memory, right? Concussions. I can't hold a spoon sometimes. I shake yeah. all the time, and I'd still go out there and do it, but I'm going to fold. He's clearly If he scared. said all those things, but then also said, but I'm still going to play coach, I would get why Tony would let him play. Still bullshit, but I would get it. Especially 20 years ago. We're looking at this with rose-colored glasses because of concussions. We didn't know much about that. It was getting your bell rung back even in the late 90s and into, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago. But when the guy says, I'm feeling this way, I'm not good, I don't want to do it, and he still gets bullied into it by his wife, which is bad enough, but also his coach. So Tony, in that scene with James Woods, a good scene, by the way, is so fucking hypocritical. I left that scene with Pacino and Quaid thinking that Cap had said his piece and there was a very high likelihood that he wasn't going to play. And certainly going to retire after this year. And then he walks away, he goes and speaks with his wife. She tears him apart. I don't care if you have a media... Two or three more years left in you. Yeah, and that was after also, you remember the promotional spot that Dennis Quaid did yeah. with the Jamie Foxx, Willie Beeman character where they shared the spotlight and she tore Dennis Quaid apart then because yeah. two years ago that would have been you up there by yourself and now he's got the big lines and what's supposed to be a charitable Just a PSA spot. for Christ's yeah. sake. So she rips him apart and he's telling her, since I was a high school player, I haven't had a choice to make for myself. I've just done what everyone else told me to do and I'm done because I'm messed up. And she rips him apart and lo and behold, he goes and plays. And she's in the stands cheering for him like nothing's wrong. And he's playing well until he's finally done. Until he gets crushed in the end zone. That was a great scene too. Everyone's cheering. He made the touchdown Mm -hmm. when he got hammered in midair making Mm -hmm. the touchdown run. Flying through the air, landing hard on the ground. But she can see him swaying and looking confused, staring around the stadium. And she knows he's done at that point. That was a great little scene. Everyone else is still up cheering and she was clapping and she just sits down quietly amongst everybody else because she can sense that this is They never get another scene together, but maybe the suggestion would be that she would admit, okay, I was wrong. You really are done. We've made enough money we live in a mansion in florida okay it's good i don't know what the implication was there to be honest i didn't know and it's supposed to be there you don't know what their relationship actually is does she care about him as a person or is she just with him because i don't of think who so you get that maybe she doesn't because of the way she treats him so when she does that quiet sit down again is it okay well this is the end for us because i'm a quarterback's wife in the way that Ricky Bobby's wife in Talladega Nights. i'm a driver's <laughs> wife and as soon as he's not driving anymore she's off with count yeah. jr mm-hmm. Is it the same thing, or has she just realized that she was wrong and he shouldn't have been playing? I think it's ambiguous and probably intentionally so, but I thought it was pretty cool the way they played that out. It's interesting to see a guy also allowed to play fear because Quaid in the scenes with her, Lauren Holly, pretty good Lauren performance Holly, by her. Yeah. You can see the smarmy, smammy, Samsonite. I was way off. You can see the sorry bad Dumb and Dumber reference. I know, but you can see the fear in Quaid's eyes, and they don't really see that in sports movies, especially a football movie. So I was impressed by that. But he was written that way and the Quaid I don't think it's necessarily one of his better performances well, he didn't have but he did that well do. Yeah, he he's did. not in the movie that much and I keep on talking about the big Pacino speech he's in uniform I've seen that speech many times but I hadn't seen the movie as a whole in a long time so I'd forgotten that he started and played the first half yeah. so whenever you see that scene of course you see him a few times sitting down with the guys and then Jamie Foxx is in the background he literally steps up at one point you always hear about that expression you gotta step up and lead this team he literally does step up, but he's not leading the team yet because he's still just the backup quarterback. Although, it's nicely played in the first half. He's doing what he's supposed to do as a backup quarterback, and right. he is guiding Cap through the calls from above. The yeah, he's, he's signaling everything. Aaron Eckhart is the assistant coach, right. He wasn't, I don't think, a huge star at this point. Definitely not, no. Not he's still a, not a huge star. But he wasn't as big be. as he would later get. Playing Harvey Dent. Yep. Bev and I covered him in Dark Knight a few months ago. I think, again, there's a lot of intended symbology there. You've got Cap sitting down quietly, and towards the end of Pacino's big speech, when he's telling everybody to call for that extra inch, because the guy next to you is going to do the yeah. same. And at the end of it all, 
that'll lead us to the win. Cap looks scared. Cap looks scared. because Willie's, bring it on. And you're right, Willie was sitting back behind everyone by himself because he was kind of a pariah at this point. Everybody mm-hmm. hated his ass. He does take that literal step up, mm-hmm. right, and joins the rest of the team in starting to cheer, whereas Cap is sort of quietly... Cowed in the no longer of... the leader that he had been before. Yeah. Although on the huddle, it's nice. The whole it's nice to see your ugly mugs again, <laughs> yeah, guys. Your ugly mugs. Yeah. Which is also kind of interesting that Willie could not, for all of his posturing, he levels accusations at everybody. And this is one of the reasons why I found it very hard to cheer for the Jamie Fox character, or even cheer for the Sharks generally. I understand where he's coming from, and he makes some good points, particularly in this era. He makes comments about black quarterbacks, mm-hmm. and at this point, there weren't many. Now, contemporarily, 2018, there's a lot. Is uh, it even half the league? I don't know. I'm actually asking that question. I'm not enough of an NFL fan to know, but some of the best quarterbacks, like Cam Newton, is one of the best. One guy doesn't have a job who probably would if the color of his skin was not dark. And, of course, if he wasn't kneeling on the sidelines as well. Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. That's a political issue That's as a well. political issue as much as But if he was a white guy, just for whatever reason, decided to jump on the Black Lives Matter movement, he would have a job right now. He might. I don't know. He wasn't playing well when he did that, too, and that doesn't help matters, right? It's a much different story in a star-driven league like the NFL. Mm. If you are a legit star, you can do almost anything. Hell, Michael Vick was a massive star when he got his criminal conviction. That's true. He came back, and while he wasn't as big a star, he was still a huge star again for a couple of years thereafter. But then there's also that guy, I forget his name now, the gay guy. There's got to be other gay... There definitely are other gay people in all sports, but none of them have come out since, and very few had ever come out before him, and I bet you won't see it again for a long time because he did, and he was essentially blackballed. You dare to go against things in the NFL. The kneeling thing is still happening in the preseason here because by the time we release this podcast, the preseason will be almost over. It'll be a week until the regular season. So, so far it's been happening, and Trump was speaking out about it again because he's... Anyway... But it's almost shocking that it is because the NFL is one of the most controlled leagues in the history of the world. The NFL stands for No Fun League. Yeah. And one of the great things about this movie are the touchdown celebrations. They have some really innovative uh, and cool ones in this. But you don't ever see that. In, yeah, I love that one. The grenade lands, the ball's the grenade, yeah. and then they all fall down, including guys in the background who are nowhere near the end zone. It's a really fun moment. No. You do not do that in regular NFL games in reality, which is fucking stupid. Well, they banned it, right? I know, you but that's stupid. One of the guys that was notorious for end zone celebrations before there was this hard ban it was Terrell Owens. I don't know if you remember him back in the San Francisco days. The Sharpie thing? Or is that after this? There was a Sharpie. He stashed a cell phone in the yes, padding right. of the uprights. And he Creative. made a touchdown, pulled out the cell phone, yeah. and called somebody. That was great. Terrell Owens actually had an extras role in this. There was two scenes, I think it was in the playoff game, actually, that they won, that you'll see him. It actually says Owens on his back, close up on him. It's Is he one of Owens. the Sharks or is he one of the Dallas He's players? one of the Sharks. Okay. He's one of the Shark players. The No Fun League is what it is, and you're right that there are certain things that some people might be able to get away with where others can, but I don't think there's any question that sports is still retrograde in a lot of its views, right? And that's one of the things that this movie highlights. Maybe the racism isn't quite what it was. I don't know. We're not in NFL It's probably numbers. still there. I'm not saying it's not there, but it's probably evolved somewhat. Oh, it has right? to have evolved. I'm sure it has somewhat. Yeah. And maybe there's other views that have changed, but there's still going to be a ton of views that are abhorrent, I'm sure, because look at the locker room atmosphere, and they do a great job of depicting that in this movie. 
that kind of testosterone-fueled atmosphere. How big is an NFL game roster? I don't even know specifically. It's got to be... I think it's 57, something like that. Yeah, so you've got that many enormous, probably full of testosterone and steroids. Plus the coaches like Montezuma Monroe, who's also doing the same thing. He was a former player, probably. It's Jim Brown, but I mean... The character was probably a former player. One of your lines earlier, that's how Pacino gets his team pumped up at halftime. He says, you don't want to be a bunch of... He doesn't say you want to be a bunch of pussies, but something to that effect. You quoted it earlier. Well, the big speech we're talking about is the pregame thing. I always thought that was a halftime speech, but when I watched the movie this time, of course, it's a pregame well, speech. But his first speech to the team was the halftime speech after Willie came in. He makes the speech where he's effectively telling people don't be pussies out there, right? Okay. And even that, 20 years ago, might have been something that somebody said to a player to say, like, hey, man up. But nowadays, you tried saying something like that to somebody in any context that isn't an NFL locker room, it's abhorrent and rightfully so it's a negative context to that kind of statement that isn't really socially acceptable Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of those views that are depicted here and i think for the first time that are really interesting to see and while they might have changed i'm sure they're still there and it's hard to root for people in that atmosphere though right so when they no, you're right it's hard to root for any of these people pacino is probably the most root forable guy of all but even him admitting in his big speech i pissed away all my money i pushed away anyone who ever loved me yeah. So it's hard to love somebody who is that unlovable. Cameron Diaz is a fucking bitch, but then she has some scenes where she's not so bitchy and has some likable moments. She can be good in movies, she can be very charming in movies, and she can be awfully bad in movies. And in this movie, she's often bad, and she's often good. You see the whole gamut of Cameron Diaz's talent. She actually won an award for this movie, which shocks me. She did? It was, what was it here? Let me look at my notes. It was the Alma Award, which is a Latin thing. Like almost good? For Outstanding Actress. No, an Alma isn't for a Latin. <laughs> and she beat out Salma Hayek, Gloria Estefan, and Rosie Perez in various other movies in that year. She basically just played the money-grubbing owners. Who shouldn't uh, have the job, except that her dad gave her the team when he died. She's got some good scenes with Pacino in particular, but beyond that, there's not a lot to like there. She basically she just... seems like his daughter, though, going up against him, and almost in reality, not just in a movie sense. It's almost like, I'm going to show my dad, Al Pacino, how I can act against him in this football movie, rather than it actually being a character that goes up against him. Jamie Foxx seems to match him and I don't want to sound sexist here that the woman can't do it, but I don't think Cameron Diaz is capable of doing it. Had it been a better actress, or I don't know, maybe she'd been written better, she might have been able to pull off this whole deal of matching him. Maybe no one should have matched him, but I think that Fox almost does in the scene where they have dinner and the Ben-Hur movie playing in the background. And that's one of the things about the movie, too, of course, is doing this whole sort of, they're all gladiators. That's why the guy loses the eye, and he doesn't continue playing, I guess. But right. why Cap could have ever played again after what happens to his back, and why any of them are playing after what they've been through, the concussions and all this shit. They're probably all medically incapable of doing what this sport is. I don't watch football anymore. I can't see what these guys do to each other. The whole job is to hit each other as hard as possible, and we know what's happened to these guys. So it's hard to root for what's going on in the first place. But the main character effectively is Beeman, even more so than Tony. Supposed to be, yeah. He's probably the most root forable character overall. He does have the scene where he talks about the racism and stuff. There's no NFL owners who are black. That's actually an interview, not with Tony. But anyway. It's an interview, yeah. But in the scene where Ben Hur is playing, it suggests that they're all gladiators. You can think you're a gladiator, and I'm never going to compare to these guys when it comes to toughness. I'm not even going to try to. But you're not gladiators. You're not soldiers. It's a fucking game. And the fact that these guys can do any of this stuff is impressive. I couldn't do it. But stop trying to pretend that you're some guy who would go to war. And when some of these things... What happens to Cap in the first place when he's on the ground grasping at the grass with a back injury? Had that been an actual war, maybe the guy gets up like Tom Cruise and born on the 4th of July when he's been paralyzed and still, You motherfuckers, I'm going to keep on shooting! Ah!" But that's an actual war. So there's something about football that always drives me a little crazy that they act like they're so, 
Oh, I'm a real life modern gladiator. No, you're not. They're the closest thing. I They're the closest thing we have right now. Soldiers are still the closest thing we have to gladiators in that sense. Well, soldiers are soldiers. Just as soldiers were soldiers then. I thought that was an interesting scene where they played Ben Hur on the television when Pacino's hosting Jamie Foxx for dinner. I don't know what the intention of Stone is there. Whether he's meant to be glorifying football players in the way that you just described I as think gladiators. So. Or whether it's meant to draw the comparison between what we see today and consider to be acceptable and what used to happen in the Roman era with the gladiatorial combat. Because that was also a spectator sport. They were essentially athletes. Get hurt or killed for our entertainment. Exactly. And get killed very regularly. And we look at that now and we think, holy shit, how barbaric. In Ben-Hur's case, they're getting trampled by chariots and they're dying gruesomely. Any number of things. Fighting wild animals, fighting each other, fighting slaves, other prisoners of war for people's entertainment. So I wasn't clear whether you were describing it was glorification of modern day players as gladiators or whether it was meant to say like, hey, look, guys, we look at down our noses at these people 2000 years ago and how barbaric they were. But look at these guys and what they're doing to each other and what we expect of them. And Charlton Heston up above later. You talk about Ben-Hur. Charlton Heston as a commissioner. Yeah. Just after the guy's eyeball gets knocked out of his head, and just after Cap gets crushed scoring a touchdown, he sort of chuckles slyly to himself, says, oh, it's a good game. And then basically tells Cameron Diaz she's fucked, and then walks out, right? right? From my cold, dead hand. Yeah, so... From my cold, dead head. I don't know what the messaging is supposed to be there, but you're right. You and I (laughs) would last approximately 30 seconds on the gridiron before we... Except I hate when people do that whole sort of, you couldn't do it. It's a fucking podcast about movies. If we can't comment on the movies, there's no point in doing any of this. I hate when people will say that. You never ran this. You never tried that. You didn't get in there and try it yourself. Well, if that's the way you feel about it, sports person or whatever it might be who actually did the thing, you can never comment on a meal that you didn't cook that someone else made for you if you're not an actual cook. And you can't comment on movies either then, assholes. Yeah, I mean, I think you can talk about a thing without being expert at it. There are a lot of people out there that have podcasts I've listened to that do that whole sort of thing. They'll always fall back on that when the internet community will have a criticism about whatever it is. Well, he's never done my job, so he can't say anything. Fuck off. I'm not trying to claim, and you're not either, that we know firsthand. We do know firsthand about playing some sports, like we've said, softball and pool especially. Golf for you. (laughs) And and nothing spells gladiatorial quite like softball, pool, and golf, right? That's why we started with those. (laughs) I know. I guess I'm all revved up because there's so many political things in this movie. Bab and I are going to do Fahrenheit 9-11 in a couple of weeks, not even in two weeks. That's going to be extremely political. We haven't recorded it yet, but I'm probably going to say way too many things I shouldn't say. But this movie is about a sport that drives me crazy because all the things we've learned in the last few years, I'm not saying the NFL shouldn't exist and football should be banned, but the fact that so many people just slough it off as if, well, I like watching this, so these guys really don't make that much money. Most of them don't. In the NFL, of course, I'm talking about the movie here. They break their bodies and ruin themselves, and we've seen it in movies like Concussion, which is a pretty good movie. Will Smith replays the doctor who discovers what's really going on, where people like Mike Webster, the Pittsburgh Steelers lineman, the great player that he was, goes nuts and dies hideously. Doesn't he kill himself? Yeah. Junior Seau killed himself, great linebacker for the Chargers, because his brains scrambled eggs because they hit each other thousands of times in their lives and practices and in games. Well, more recently, look at Aaron Hernandez, the all-star, I think he was a tight end for the New England Patriots. 
killed somebody, murdered them, right? Right. At least one. They think maybe he murdered another. And maybe he would have anyway if he'd just been a guy who sold cars for a living, but and then killed himself happened. in jail, right? And that's probably because of what happened to him playing football. Well, yeah. you don't blame football, but let's not turn a blind eye to it either. And way too many fans and certainly people in the game want to turn the blind eye, or they'll do the thing, and we see it in this movie where we'll cut cap in the off season. That's a Patriots move. What's that guy, Ty Law, who was a Pro Bowl safety for them way back when they first started becoming a good team? The Patriots have been good for so long, it's hard to remember this probably. But they cut him for salary cap reasons. And everyone said, how can you cut this great player? And it ended up working. They won, I think, another Super Bowl. They've won many Super Bowls. But that's what the NFL does. There's no guaranteed contracts. So these guys who break themselves, not always, of course, it doesn't happen that often, but a lot of the times they're cut and they may not have another job again. Cap or Luther LeVay, are they going to find work the next year? Well, Cap's no. probably going to retire, and he's probably going to be okay. Well, he hopes well, so. Well, Cap will. I mean, he, Luther probably isn't, and he got his million-dollar bonus. I mentioned earlier that I thought Lawrence Taylor was one of the more interesting characters in this movie, mm-hmm. that Luther LeVay. Mm-hmm. And he had two great scenes, right? The first was when he meets with Pacino, and he meets with the young doctor. Matt right? Modine. Matt Modine's character. They say, listen, you can't play. You had a spinal injury that never healed well, and one bad hit, and you could be dead or mm-hmm. paralyzed or something. And that's what he says, oh, but I got to play. One more sack and three more tackles and I make my million dollar bonus. And they say, no, it's not going to happen, man. It's not worth the risk. And he's almost in tears. He goes, please. He convinces them, yeah. I've got nothing else. I need this. Please let me play. And eventually Pacino just sort of quietly and disconsolately says, okay, but you got to sign a waiver. And he says, yeah, no problem, no problem. It's the reverse of what he does with Cap. Cap doesn't want to, but he makes him, as does the wife. And Luther does want to, but he doesn't want him to play. Although I guess you can make the argument with Cap... You're talking quality of life, certainly, especially when he starts talking about, I got gaps in my memory and I can't hold a spoon. Mm-hmm. But with Luther, it's a legitimate, could be death. Hit, you could be dead, yeah. right? So I guess there's a small distinction there. And then later, Luther sits down in the sauna with Willie Beeman. Mm-hmm. He's trying to dump a little learning on Willie, and he starts talking about, you play this game, if you're lucky, 10 years. I think most NFL careers are on average like 40 years, especially if you're not a quarterback who's a little bit more protected. But you play this game, and you, know, you get all the adulation, you get the fans, you get the money, and you get the women, and then all of a sudden it's over, and you've got nothing. You don't have any more women coming at you. You and don't have any. There's no money in Probably no education. And that's what he said. What do you do? You don't know how to do anything. And you're about 30, or younger. You hope you've got 30, 40, 50 years of life ahead of you. You've got no skills. You've got maybe no money if you'd blown it all. And it's a really touching scene from a, an actor and football player that, like I said, was a pro bowler and a Hall of Famer, Lawrence Taylor, and recently retired from the game himself. So he knows of what he speaks. And I'm sure he's mm. speaking from the heart when he's sitting there with Jamie Foxx. And it's exactly what you talk about. These people wreck themselves. And very often it's because it's a way out for people that don't often have many other sure. ways to get out of poverty or poor societal situations. That's one of the racial things in a movie like this. Not so much the movie, actually, but in reality, about football. I don't think it was ever deliberate, but we certainly, as white people, well, it's not us, of course, but the white people that own the game, that have piggybacked on these guys' talents and made an awful lot of money and then just tossed them aside. And that's the nature of the business. It's a wheel that goes round and round, and even the best player, Tom Brady, for example, is just a spoke on that wheel. He's not the wheel. But there's an awful lot of black players in a sport like football, primarily black players, and they're not really taken care of properly, and it's some kind of, and this is a strong way to put it, but some kind of modern-day slavery. Considering how much they make, which is not that much, I keep on saying that, but not that much money, and they're not really well-protected. There's no proper, well, there's a union, I guess, but... There is a union, and they've made strides to look after players post-retirement. Mm. They've done it's, something. It's not where it needs to be. You talked about the New England Patriots earlier and cutting a player. What's the alternative 
if you're a team, that is, and you have a player that injures themselves badly. I'm not sure he was injured. I think that was just about cost-cutting. Or maybe he was injured, and they didn't want to tell anybody that he was. I don't or know. if it's a player that can't play anymore. We're more baseball fans than we are NFL fans. Look at Jose Bautista his last year at the Blue Jays. Last year, right? He was he's terrible. playing all right with the Mets this year, though. Oh, he's still bad. Is the answer then you re-sign them for money you, you know they aren't worth, and you keep paying them when you know it's going to hurt your team on the field, and then the fans are going to be mad, and then your revenues drop, and it's mm. bad for everything, really. You know it's not good for the person. You know it's not good for the player, especially in a league, like you said, where the contracts are often not guaranteed, or at least not fully guaranteed. This is why no one should ever begrudge an athlete for making as much money as they can. Because A, all the rest of us would do the same thing in their shoes. Oh, yeah. And B, they better get what they can while they can. The only time I ever begrudge a player that kind of thing is when they are under a contract and they hold out or they hold the team ransom because they decide they want to get traded in the way that Vince Carter did to the Toronto Raptors years okay, ago yeah. now. You know, but when you play half a season and your stats are pathetic and you're awful and then you get traded and all of a sudden you're an all-star again, you clearly were dogging it on the field because you didn't want to be there. I'm sorry, you don't want to be there, but you're not being That's endangered bad, yeah. and you're getting paid a lot of money. Play the game. Tell them you want to get traded, sure, but just play the game. Play hard and play your best. As long as you do that, it's fine. Aside from that, you're right. I don't care if somebody gets paid $30 million and they're not truly worth $30 million. You get what you can, right? Yeah. Because you don't know how long you're going to be in the game. You don't know when your body's going to break down. And we would all do the same thing if we could. And it's not our money. It's the owner's money. That's right. A few more story points then, because the main story in this really is the relationship between Willie and Tony, which I think is taken care of a little too easily. They have the big battle, not really so much battle, I guess, but the big war of words at Tony's house and... They're never really connecting until the very end. It's almost like, if you step up and be a leader, then I'm with you. Which he does do, so that's maybe why Tony... And he ends up picking him to be his quarterback on this new expansion team, the Albuquerque Aztecs. You just mentioned that little fight that Tony and Willie have at dinner at Tony's place, where Willie goes on about, well, maybe it's not racism, but it's placism. And that's after Tony said, listen, Cap's playing in the playoffs when he's back. Mm. What did you think about that from Willie's perspective? Cap was the quarterback. He led them to a 7-5 and five record because he got hurt, and then Willie came in and they lost that game. They were 7-6. And, and yeah, Willie picked them up a few wins, but Cap was the guy. He was, he was a superstar a... from before. He won the Pantheon Cup for them four years before. And one of the mantras of sport, when a guy gets hurt, mm. you never want them to lose their job because they got hurt. I like that from a sentimental standpoint, but it's also a little bit of bullshit because the best example of that ever would be Lou Gehrig. He started his 2130-game streak that Cal Ripken broke in the 90s. Wally Pipp was the Yankees' first baseman, and he had a headache or something like that. He couldn't play. Gehrig played instead of him, and then he never came off the field again until he came off the field permanently. Yeah. So you look back at that. Should Lou Gehrig have not been in the lineup after he'd been great? Obviously, because Lou Gehrig was great from the beginning of his career. It's because Pipp came back. The Yankees made a decision and said, we want to have the better player out there. So it's nice, but it's also a matter of, What's the best thing for the team? I'm not saying that nobody ever loses their job because they got injured and somebody played amazing in their stead. Of course it happens. It happens very regularly. It's why I'm terrified to ever miss a podcast recording if I get injured or sick, Ryan, because I know you'll replace me in a heartbeat. Fox is ready to jump Fox in. is like just eyeballing the seat. Like I have so time. many thoughts about football. But I mean, the point is that, like you said, Cap is still a good player. He led the team to a winning record, if not a, like a fantastic record, at least a winning record. And he's been the guy with this franchise forever. He's the face of the franchise. He's their Dan Marino. So for Willie to be told after playing like two or three games that, hey, when the playoffs start and Cap is healthy, he's going to be playing the playoffs. And for Willie to flip his lid and go on, this is racism or at least it's placism, he might not be wrong about that, but he's wrong for the specific reason that he's saying it because I don't think it's racism that brings Cap back. 
I just thought that whole rant was a little misplaced. And maybe it's just characteristic of the Willie Beeman character being this huge sort of ego that he is. He seems to have a bit of a persecution complex going back to college. It sounds like he got mm. picked on because he accepted a $300 suit from a booster to attend right. a wedding. That's bullshit, too. That's even bigger bullshit. College football, college basketball, too. Holy shit, that's so... Oh, oh it's bullshit really everywhere. Like, NCAA sports is nonsense. They make so much money, the players get nothing. You hear stories about people getting busted or getting their hands slapped, at least because they accepted a jersey. I think even LeBron James, when he was in high school, he accepted some jerseys or something from a memorabilia collector and he kind of got his hand gently slapped for that but it's endemic to college sports right now and I think even more so than some of the NFL issues that NCAA structure is just broken it needs addressing for student athletes and more proof that ticket prices are not conducive to winning and losing or the salary on the whole roster because players in college sports get nothing and yet they still charge an awful lot of money for you to go see Alabama or LSU or UCLA or whatever yeah. play the sports so don't give me this bullshit that you have to raise the ticket prices because we got a bigger name player to play this position for us. That's a lie. Oh, of course. But at the same time, these are businesses. They want to make money. That's what yeah. it always boils down to. But just be honest to. about it. But then yeah. it can't be. But anyway, the relationship between Willie and Tony is healed at the end, I guess, because Willie is a leader and he wins the game. But then I do like the touch that they don't win the next week. They're out of the playoffs because San Francisco beats them. And it sounds like it was pretty handy that they did. And then you got to stay tuned during the end credits because they're all playing, but then we find out all this value added. Tony's going off to coach the new team, the Albuquerque Aztecs. He's taking Willie as his quarterback. Christina, Cameron Diaz, knows that Tony's going. She's got a smile on her face. Bit of a smug smile. Yeah, I'm getting rid of this fucking asshole. And she's got Aaron Eckhart to take over, which is what she seems to want anyway as her head coach. She doesn't know that Willie Beeman's going with him. Again, for a movie, I'll grant it that leeway, I guess, but it seems a little too easy that in a matter of weeks that these two guys are warring with each other, not really clicking, then suddenly they're that close. And one touch I noticed when I saw the movie this time, don't remember from having seen it the first time, before the end credits and before all that happens where we find out that Tony's leaving for another team, you see Tony and Willie on the field still in Dallas. The game's over. Everyone else has left. They're cleaning up the field. They have a conversation about various things. Willie yeah. throws a football kind of pointlessly down the field, looks around, and Tony's not there, suggesting maybe that Tony was never there and he was imagining the conversation because Tony's not that fast. <laughs> Al Pacino can't run off the field and he would have no reason to. We've seen that in movies so many times that a whole sort of Batman does that whole thing where he's just gone, but he's also a ninja. I'm using Pacino voice now for Batman. <laughs> Wait, are you implying that Pacino might be Batman in this movie? He already has the voice for it. Didn't need to digitally lower his voice. <laughs> Either way, here now, as a team, or the Joker will beat us. Uh, you were merely playing this game, Batman. <laughs> I was born into it. Now, this movie would have been way better if Bane was the new owner of the team instead of Cameron Diaz. <laughs> You both had it more on. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid. So Pacino at this point had been doing some great work. Obviously the Godfather films were far in his past in the 70s. He did so many great films in the 70s. But Heat was only a few years before this. Donnie Brasco, so underrated. That was a couple years before this movie. And The mm-hmm. Insider was the same year as this movie. You've probably seen lots of Pacino. But what do you yeah. think of him in this compared to other movies he's done? Because this is him at his roaring best. I mean, kind of touched on it, but I thought he was... Really well cast for this role, right? But still, does that make him good in the movie, though? Yeah. I would say for what he's playing, yeah. For what he's playing, because he's supposed to be an archaic caricature of a sporting coach, right? And And Machino was a bit of an archaic caricature of an actor. This movie being made in the late 90s, he's supposed to be a relic of an era even before that. So we're watching in 2018 of a 1999 movie 
Pacino portraying a relic of the late 70s. So you see him go into the locker rooms and he just looks so small and so bedraggled compared to all of the guys around him. Mm. I say this so much because I don't know what Stone's intention was with this movie that seems to be sort of contradictory in a lot of ways. He's a macho director of a lot of his other films, so maybe it was to go the macho route. Well, that's what I mean. I don't know. It's hard to tell. A lot of his imagery and the way he cuts it, it seems to imply one thing. But what I know of Stone's other movies, it kind of makes me believe it's something different. And one of the things that he shows so often are those intercuts between old football games, black and white footage from the 50s or 60s, of Johnny Unitas era football, right? The guys playing the game, they look human. They just Mm. look like normal people. And they're running around with leather wrapped around their head. That's supposed to be him as a young quarterback, too. Yeah. And he kind of talks about that later. I ran into a guy, used to be a great quarterback back in the 70s, didn't have your talents, but he wanted it. He worked hard at it. I talked to him and he told me all these things. And obviously he's referring to himself and coming to a bit of an epiphany about where his life has gone. It was kind of interesting seeing him now contrasted against the modern version of the football player. Guys that are six foot six and 300 pounds mm-hmm. of just mostly raw muscle. And it really shows you how things evolve. And I think that's an ongoing message of this movie. Things change. What was cutting edge and new becomes passe and old, and it's just a cycle of that. And that's what Pacino is supposed to be. He's supposed to be what was once a leader on a team and somebody that was revered, whether it's a quarterback or when he was a football coach and very successful, and he's now antiquated. So Don Shula, because we're talking about Miami, the Miami Dolphins, yeah. effectively, yeah. and Dan Marino, cap. Don Shula at one point was the best coach in football, but by the 90s when he was still coaching the Dolphins, they were never, well, they were okay maybe as a team, but they never won anything. They certainly didn't win, any, well, they never won a Super Bowl in the more modern era. They did in the 70s. Yeah, not in the Marino era. Marino, that's no. right. And they didn't even get to the Super Bowl after, I think it was the mid-80s. It was interesting from that perspective, and I thought Pacino was a great choice for it. But then he and, goes on to coach an expansion team. Yeah. So he's antiquated, but now he's going to have to coach a bunch of mostly young players on a new team. Well, you got to get the star coach if you can get him. Is that a commentary on the loyalty of the game to people that are beyond their prime, Ryan? I a lot of coaches get jobs they maybe shouldn't. Because well, of course, they... brand name recognition. You're a known quantity. And think about fans. As a fan, anyway, you see an announcement of a hiring, whether it's a head coach or a GM or something, of any sport. It doesn't matter to mm-hmm. football. And if it's some random person you've never heard of, your reaction is, what makes this guy qualified for the right. team? Right, that's true. Whereas even if in Pacino's case, if this expansion team... They might be bad, but they can say, hey, we got Tony D'Amato as our coach. This guy is a Pantheon Cup winner. I mean, it works in their favor, even though they can't keep up with the game. He has been good and could be good again. Although, the last game that we actually see that they win, you see him sort of shed some of that old school. Yeah, he's letting Willie improvise. He taps Willie on the ass before he runs out in the field and says, oh, one more thing. The first play of the game, just let it fly. Take it down their throats, right? Maybe he's accepting it a little bit that he needs to adapt, but... He's still an archaic character. Pacino played Joe Paterno in a TV movie. I think it was just last year. I saw it. It was pretty good. That's right, yeah. Forget the scandal of what that movie's all about, but Joe Paterno, the football coach, did it forever. And Penn State, I don't know when they last won oh, I have no idea. a championship. It could be the same kind of deal there, too. Forget, again, the scandal of why that movie was even made, but maybe Joe Paterno was way past anything close to a prime. Well, he was. He was an old man. But even his ways may have been... Boring old plays he'd been using for 30 or 40 years that didn't really work the same way anymore. But he was such a living legend there that it didn't matter. He could have coached until he died had it not been for that scandal. And Pacino played him pretty well, by the way. It's one of Pacino's better recent performances. There are some people who are going to be more adaptable than others. But I was really impressed as a 2018 viewer watching this movie because it was almost like Oliver Stone was a little bit prescient in the way that he approached some things. 
Aaron Eckhart's character, this new offensive coordinator that is analytics-based, almost a moneyball approach to it. Yeah, right? He's getting there. the edges on the statistics and the percentages. We see it in every sport now, baseball number one. So they were ahead of the time in bringing him in as the offensive coordinator. Later on, Cameron Diaz talks about airing out the ball. We want yeah, sir. scoring. Scoring brings drives. We don't want the grinded out. What's the word I'm looking for? Smash here? mouth. Smash mouth football. You know, first downs, first downs, first downs, three yards at a time with the running mm-hmm. back. In this era, there were still a huge number of really big name running backs, and it would continue through the early aughts. But these days, it's all about the quarterback. Quarterbacks are more protected by rules than ever before. The league is all about airing out the ball. You might have one or two running backs in the league that are true superstars. Although the most recent draft, you had Saquon Barkley drafted, who's supposed to be, might be a superstar. It's very much an aerial game now. He correctly predicted that was the way that the league was going to move. He actually set this movie in 2001, so it was a little yeah, forward-looking. Yeah, true, yeah. In 1998, I guess, is when he filmed it. So He captures the mood, the machismo, and the medical cover-ups in football pretty well, too. What did you take away from the final scene with Matthew Modine and Lawrence Taylor just before that quarterfinal game? He drains Lawrence Taylor's knee, that disgusting, enormous needle of fluid that he fills up, and he gives him a shot and all I that. respect that they want to do it so badly. It reminds me of what I've said before about... But Modine, Anybody who's got concussions, if that's the way they want to go out, if they could die on the field, or Luther, with his various problems, including concussions, dies on the field, there's a part of me that absolutely respects it. But do you think he got that last cortisone shot from Modine? Because Modine was supposed to be the moral compass throughout yeah. this movie. He was the guy that wanted to do right by the players, and James Wood just, just kept telling him all the time. Well, Modine also says they should have a choice. So now, Luther has a choice. But then, probably, Modine still does, in the end, what he has to to get him on the field. You think so? That's the way we're left. If you're asking me the question, that's my answer. Because I don't know. I didn't really thought about it until right now. But call me cynical. Is Yeah, he did that. You have Lawrence Taylor say, come on, Doc, give me one more shot. That's what the player wants in his case, too. Cap doesn't, but Luther does. And And Willie will want it when the time comes, probably. He's a gamer. Modine says, there's no medical reason for it. I can't recommend it. He says, no, who the fuck cares that there's no medical reason? Give me the shot. Modine's just looking at the needle, and then it cuts away. Of course, Lawrence Taylor plays the game. He was medically cleared to play without the cortisone shot, and you're left wondering. Okay, I think he gave it to him. He might have, and I think that's a commentary, too, of the machine of the game. These characters who might have the best of intentions just getting worn down by the expectations of everyone around them that these guys are going to do anything they have to to get on the field, whether and, it's to their detriment. And right? then thrown away when things don't work out long-term, when they're used up. Yeah. So I guess we're in the middle on this movie we said before. I didn't say the Rotten Tomatoes numbers. Only 51% of critics. They were literally in the middle. <laughs> Half the critics liked the movie, half didn't. And 73% of audiences, though, so audiences liked it a lot more. It is an entertaining picture, though, so I can see why they would like it more. It, it did pretty well at the box office, 28th that year. Of course, Star Wars Phantom Menace, like it or not, was the number one hit of that year. So Ugh, the movie had an okay reception. So disgusted. <laughs> the movie had an okay reception overall. It maybe has aged well, though, because of some of these issues that are obviously making me a little bit worked up and whatnot. <laughs> the issues they talk about still exist. They they're existed still, then. We just didn't know about it so much. I don't think we really... Well, we didn't know what concussions really were. We didn't know how prevalent they were. Concussions are prominent, although not really dealt with that much in this movie. It's more general injuries than concussions specifically, sure. with the exception of Cap talking about his memory lapses. Well, okay. Luther has it too, because you see his vision is that strobe effect. That's right. So that's You're a concussion right. yep. with him. Yep. So the two main guys are injured, and a lot of them are. Yeah. Dealing with the same kinds of issues. I mean, there's a reason why the NFL obviously didn't license this movie when the time came. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't portray the league in a good light. Not even close. Everybody is so ambivalent about the well-being of the players. 
from top to bottom. There's not a single person that really goes including out of their way. Including Tony. Including Tony. We're right back to where we started now. I mean, it's not realistic, obviously. That's what this movie is trying to portray, is some level of realism. The Monsoon Bowl. It's a good example uh, of that. That was a little bit... Stylish sad. scene, but good God. They don't usually play through that one, but they do play through That's that That's a very kind of 1950s kind of scene there, but... Maybe it wouldn't have been realistic to have one character just be the white knight through the whole movie and stick up for players from point A to point B. So maybe that's why he's not there. But lacking that moral compass, I found it really hard to love the movie mm-hmm. while still really It's a better it. movie than The Mighty Ducks or Angels in the Outfield. You know what I wanted? But those though? have mostly good guy, nice people. I really wanted to see the ducks getting shot up with cortisone. <laughs> Good save, Goldberg. Yeah, it sure was, wasn't it? I'm 12 and I'm pumped up. Goldberg. Oh, I'm thinking of steroids. You're talking cortisone. Anyway. Broken legs and get back out there. You said your bell rung kind of stuff. Can you imagine the places being switched here? Al Pacino as Gordon Bombay and Emilio (laughs) Estevez as Tony D'Amato. Mighty Ducks would have been an R-rated movie, I think, had that been the case. (laughs) It would have to be. He steps into a a locker room of 12-year-old boys and girls and tells them, Get out there. The only of you guys want to be known as... Pussies, get out there and kick some ass. Either you score on this penalty shot, Charlie, or I'll never see you again. Yeah. That's not in the script, Al. I don't care. It feels real. <laughs> Stone's director's cut is actually six minutes shorter than the theatrical cut, and I guess I watched the director's cut because, well, anyway, what I saw was about two and a half hours long on yeah, Movie Network, too. and you watched it on YouTube. You had to pay for it. I got to see it for free, luckily. You son of a... Oh, you didn't say bitch. <laughs> bitch! <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. The script apparently was based on a 1995 book. You're okay, it's just a bruise. So pretty obvious what they're going for there. And Richard Donner, who directed a lot of great movies, Superman and Lethal Weapon, was an executive producer on this film too. So a lot of machismo people behind the scenes. And it really shows on the screen. And by the way, this is maybe tough accusations, but Oliver Stone seems like the kind of guy, when he's making a movie, if someone were to say, whatever the problem is, man up and get through it. He'd be one of these football coaches as a movie director. Most movie directors probably are. When push comes to shove, they probably aren't really nice-nice because you got to get the fucking shot. you got to get your day in. But yeah. I can see Stone, I've heard enough stories to think without knowing this is true, that he's one of those guys that is like a football coach. This is something I remember hearing way back when Jamie Foxx was just becoming a star when this movie hit and LL Cool J was already a massive star outside of movies, obviously. As a rapper, yeah. As a rapper. He was in Deep Blue Sea the same year. A movie I actually really like. It's a terrible movie, it's a bad but, I movie but it's it. fun. It is fun. They're rivals in the movie, at least until the end when they have, again, a little bit of a too easy come-together moment at the end, but still. They fight. They physically fight at one point in the movie, and apparently they actually fought. LL Cool J and Jamie Foxx, they got into a brawl because I think it was LL that sucker-punched Jamie Foxx twice, trying to make things look realistic for a take. He didn't tell him, I'm going to actually hit you, and then he did. Oliver Stone didn't want the fight to stop. When they got into the actual brawl, the two actors... People stopped recording, they jumped in to break up the fight, and Oliver Stone stood back and, what the hell are you people doing? Don't break that. Record it. Wait, you should be recording this. Why are you breaking it up? So you talk about him being a guy that would want you to man up. Might be proof right there. Case in point, right? Yeah. By the way, his co-writer, because Stone always writes his movies and often is a producer. But anyway, he co-wrote with John Logan, who did Gladiator and Skyfall later on in his career. So, Well, Gladiator was the year after this, in fact. We talked a lot about Gladiators in this movie. And it was nominated in the sports category of the top 100 genres. I looked that up, by the way, so anytime we cover a movie, I'll mention that it was one of the 50 <laughs> that could have made that list, and there are only 10 that did. We've already covered plenty of them. Bev and I have. Rocky, Raging Bull, Bull Durham, and so on. All right, well, then the big question, of course, is always, can you score at this movie? And I would say, sure, but you got to pay for it, like Pacino does with Elizabeth Berkley from Showgirls. 
Hold on now. I didn't know she was a pro, and I saw that's movie so Elizabeth long Berkley? ago. Yeah, from Showgirls. He says I something to her not. when he's been with her for the night. He says, "Is a check okay?" She's a pro. <laughs> when she comes on to him the first time, I thought it was supposed to just be she wants to fuck the star. And Pacino's a pretty decent looking older guy, I guess. But I think it's supposed to be that he's paying for it. It's not even it's supposed to be. It's 100%. Because he asked her, how old are you? I don't think age matters. And then you want to come back to my place? I got a room next door. It's a thousand bucks for... Oh, I didn't hear that part. Maybe you I just tuned that out. It starts out looking like she's just flirting with him because he's a famous oh. coach. And then eventually he's like a little bit skeptical, but finally says, okay, but what are you saying here? Come back to my place. It's $2,000 for the night. And then okay. he kind of I turns really her down. That and oh, then, of well. course, later on, she shows up in his room, so he obviously caved in. And listened. I pissed away all my money on horse. Clearly. Clearly. So anyway, can you score at this movie? I would say yes. Sure, why not? Part of me wants to say yes, Ryan, but there's very little. I remember this movie back in 1999, seeing it as a young, influential teenage Chris. One of the things I do remember, no movie ever crushed my sense of self-confidence quite like seeing this movie. Because if you ever see a locker room shot of 50 jacked-to-the-nines, massive guys, and you're a skinny teenage boy, let me tell you, it's hard to feel adequate in those circumstances. Fair. At least you have the height, though. I've got the height, but I give up about 100 pounds to most of these guys. Oh, that's true. So, well, I'd love to say that you can score this movie. It's so hard to feel adequate that it's, that's a, a, fair it's a tough point. task. May I just say... My masculinity... You were in the pool! You were in the pool! <laughs> it was shrinkage! It was shrinkage, I swear! For different reasons. It wasn't about water. You don't necessarily need to use steroids, but maybe if you were medically enhanced, then yes, you could score in mm. this movie. If you were doing steroids, you probably would be less likely to no, that's what I mean. I mean, there, there's alternatives, though. Right? Ruin your balls. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. Then we don't need to score this movie. Ironically, we God. said other ones... Ruin your balls! <laughs> <laughs> Among many other things. All right, so <laughs> that's going to stay with me for a while now. I guess that's the end of a long podcast, any given Sunday. When we talk to you again in two weeks, we'll keep our testosterone levels high as we hit the courts and drain some jump shots with White Man Can't Jump. But I should say that when we get into September and maybe in October, I had to warn people about this for Bev and I with the Avatar podcast. Bev and I are moving, so maybe we will have to bump an episode in probably October. But we'll warn people if we do. We're going to aim for the every other week thing as we've been doing. But i got to do a lot of things in September, so we may not do two episodes or whatever it is in October. But we'll try. We'll do our best. The White Man Can't Jump will definitely happen. Now, I know you're quite the recreational basketball player, Ryan, and I assume you've got mad hops. And I can like, shoot and that's it. You've told me a number of times you've destroyed the net. Now, when you say that, I assume you mean you've destroyed the rim just because you've just been dunking the ever-loving shit out of it. I jump an inch at least off the ground. Nice. Maybe three inches. And by White Man's standards, that's impressive. I really can't jump. <laughs> But it's a fun movie. I look forward to seeing our third Ron Shelton movie this year. You and I have done two, or will have done two by this point, and Bev and I did Bull Durham. Tin Cup is the other one. Right. We got ourselves some Woody. I love me some Woody. Guaranteed thumb up on that one. I haven't even seen it yet. Yeah, we've got some but, snipes in there. Mm -hmm. It's going to be great. All right, so I'm at MovieFiend51 on Twitter. TopNerdProjectPodcast.gmail.com is the email address. Is it Rosie President, too? He's back to that. Uh, yeah, she is. <laughs> She's great, too. She's really good at that movie. She's on Jeopardy! I can't do her accent. I'll try it next time. And Chris is not on the web anywhere. You can't find him. He's dark as always. I have a himself. question for you, Ryan. Should I start a Twitter account? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. You okay. might get a solid 44 followers. No, I have more than that. I have 100 and something. It's not very many, but... If I should start a Twitter account, what username should it be? Should it be my whiskey-related pursuits, yeah. or sure. should it be something sports-specific? Or should it just be plain old Chris? You won't get just Chris on Damn Twitter. It. 
We'll work on Chris that. is not available on Twitter as a Twitter handle. We'll work on him. If you ever get one, then we can start promoting it. Right, we'll workshop this. And that, as they say, is that. <laughs>